You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The U.S. formally announced on Wednesday that it's moving ahead with a controversial plan to withdraw nearly 12,000 troops from Germany. Critics, including Joe Biden and Mitt Romney, say it's a gift to Russia. The Pentagon argues that it's a necessary repositioning of forces to better deter Russia and enhance NATO. President Trump says the troop reduction is happening because Germany has long been taking advantage of the U.S. and isn't paying enough for its own defense, so he's reducing the force. So which is it? And what does all of that mean for the future of Europe and U.S. relationship with our allies? That's Today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Jen Williams, here as always with Alex Ward. Hello. Hello. Zach Beecham is on vacation living his best life. So we wish him all the best. Do, do we? No, we do. No, I hope he's having a... Do we? I do. We do. I mean, I'm jealous, even though I was just on vacation, but like, I wish him the best. Yeah, you just definitely had two weeks of vacation, Alex Ward, so I feel like maybe... I, mean, I could use another, like, maybe it's okay. two months, but that's okay. I mean, who among <laughs> us? Uh, <laughs> Alex, you love to talk about the military and Europe, so you start. What's uh, what's going on? What was the announcement? What's actually happening here? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to take us back really quickly um, to May, in which Trump had this idea where he wanted to have Russia into, like, the to have Russia rejoin the G7 uh, and make, make it the G8. It's the like group of eight most powerful countries now, seven most powerful countries. Russia was kicked out after it invaded Ukraine. And it was soon after that that Trump was like, okay, we're going to withdraw troops out of Germany. Uh, we're doing it. We have about 35,000 troops there. Um, it's time to get them out. And on Wednesday, the announcement came true. Like, they finally followed through on it. So roughly 12,000 U.S. troops stationed in Germany are going to leave. Um, 6,400 or so are going to come back to the United States, and they could be rotated uh, back into Europe at a later date. That is possible. While the other 5,000-something, I can't do math, um, are going to go elsewhere in Europe. And that looks like it's going to be in Belgium and Italy, although some uh, may be later going to more Eastern Europe, like the Baltic countries um, and even Poland. The other sort of announcement is that the headquarters of U.S. European Command, that is the major military organization that oversees um, American operations in, in, on the continent in Europe, that's going to move from Germany to Belgium. 
uh, and Africa Command, which is also in Europe, in Stuttgart, Germany, the same same city as European Command is, and uh, it, it will also move, but that will be determined at a later date as to where it will go. This is going to take uh, many years and many billions of dollars, although the defense officials um, said yesterday in a press conference that it won't be in the single digits. So, you know, not that much money. Uh, the single digits of billions. Correct. Um, okay, great. Yeah, so- just, just... <laughs> Not like five dollars. No, a pittance. Okay. You know, just a, a, a light nine billion, perhaps. Uh, Who's counting? Just a, yeah, just a light amount. Uh, and and so you know that's um, so this will take some time. It's not like they're all the troops are going to leave tomorrow, and it's not like all these organizations are going to be shifted. Um, and last thing I'll say is there's some resistance to this. There's a chance what we're what's happening uh, or what's been announced may not actually go through um, for kind of three reasons. One you had even the Defense Department be like, well, we're still doing the review. So, you know, things might change. Two, you had uh, Congress say effectively um, in both of the defense policy and budget bills, like, we don't want this to happen. We want the troop levels to stay the same. So it could be in law and it could cause like a Congress-White House fight. There's bipartisan support to keep the troops in Germany. And the other is um, Joe Biden, who could be president uh, in next January. Uh, His campaign told me and others that he would review this decision if it were still on the books were he to be in the Oval Office. And so it seems like this is the Pentagon, and this is one of my arguments, which we'll get into later, but it seems like the Pentagon giving Trump what he wants, what he said he wanted, um, and what he sort Mm -hmm. of has been crying out for without really committing to it yet uh, and making it seem somewhat unpalatable, I feel. Like, it's not usually like the Defense Department be like, oh, this will take years and billions of dollars. It's almost like they're signaling like, yeah, this is going to be bad. Please, someone stop us before this gets bad. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I'm i skeptical that this will actually end up happening. Um, but what we'll get into later and what I'm very interested in is like the conversation around this. It's actually gotten quite yeah. heated. Yeah, so I actually want to get into that a little bit more now. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess maybe right not this second. So, so first, um, I guess, you know, I kind of mentioned this at the top, but, you know, there there seem to be different arguments for why this is happening, right? So Trump has basically said for a while now um, that, you know, Europe in general, but, you know, in particular Germany, he's harped on a lot, is not paying their fair share to NATO um, in terms of, in two different ways. So one in terms of like paying the expenses of NATO, like directly, and the other in terms of how much it spends on its own defense budget. So, you know, part of the kind of NATO agreement is like, yeah, U.S. troops, you know, will help you and we'll, we'll be there and station uh, various countries in Europe. But you guys have to, like, build up your own defense, too, right? Like, we're not going to shoulder this whole burden. Um, and so those are kind of the two arguments that Trump has said. Uh, he characteristically kind of muddles the water when he's actually talking about it. Yesterday, he was talking about this and saying that they're, like, they're in arrears on their debt, essentially, and that they're, like, really behind on their dues, which— I don't think that's actually the case. And yesterday being Wednesday, right? Uh, yeah, that would be Wednesday, I'm pretty sure. Uh, not sure what day it is, literally ever. But, you know, there's the fact that, uh, you know, Germany has already agreed that starting in 2021, so literally next year, um, they're going to increase their share of the NATO budget to be basically equal to what the U.S. pays. So the U.S. will be paying, like, millions of dollars less. That doesn't seem to really factor into Trump's understanding of this. He seems to just kind of ignore that and think that they're still, I don't know, not paying their fair share. But that's kind of his argument, right? That they're they're not paying their fair share, that they're not holding up their end of the deal, they're taking advantage of the U.S., not just in military, but also in trade, et cetera. And he said recently, 
they're there to protect Europe, meaning U.S. troops. They're there to protect Germany, and Germany is supposed to pay for it. We don't want to be responsible anymore. So Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Okay. We'll get into that. But then there's the other argument, which is really weird. So when, you know, reporters asked Secretary of Defense Mark Esper and other Pentagon officials, they've said, no, 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 that has nothing to do with it. This this doesn't have anything to do with, you know, with money or how much Germany is paying. Uh, and it's really bizarre. They're literally saying, no, that's not true, even though the president literally just says it all the time publicly. But Alex, what's lay out their argument? What's the Pentagon's kind of argument for why this makes sense in terms of troop deployment and like force posture? Yeah, the, the Pentagon's case is, is kind of like 1.5 fold. Um, the, the sort of major argument is, look, the Pentagon, as it should, uh, is always reviewing how many troops it has, where they are. Uh, and after this review, this long scheduled review of the European posture, the, there was a decision that we just don't need that many troops in Germany. And in fact, we could reposition some to deal with the threats of the day. There's a lot of truth to that, actually, in the sense that, you know, when we have to think about the Cold War, like when the U.S. put troops in Germany, that was like the eastern flank of where the West could go. Um, now, right. there's, a, there's a lot further east it could go. And if you're trying to deter Russia, you could make a very, very good case that the troops should be like in Poland, should be in the Baltic countries, et cetera. And so you hear the Defense Department say, look, these troops, some that are leaving Germany may go further east. Um, as a way to kind of either be a tripwire against Russia or to better deter its, you know, actions, and that this was the result of the policy review. Um, the other, the other half argument is that this decision actually helps deter Russia more than anything else. That this is actually done in order to further bolster American um, efforts against Russia and to strengthen its commitment to allies. That this is not the media narratives. Um, version of like, oh, Trump is yet again trashing the Europeans and pushing away. This is actually um, almost like a retreat to the front, I guess, uh, is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Like after saving some money and moving some stuff and, and and finally sort of rearranging what we've had for decades, now the U.S. will be in a better position to deal with Russia and other threats on the continent. So like, it's not a crazy argument. It's not, in fact, it's actually quite straightforward and in fact, persuasive in certain cases. It's just the context around this. And especially as you were mentioning Trump's arguments, which are faulty and I know we'll correct them in a moment, but like the fact that this is almost seems like a vindictive move by Trump that the Pentagon is trying to retrofit into a strategy uh, is what is why like, you know, reporters like us are kind of, are looking at this a bit askew and worried about what the actual signal of this really is. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was, uh, I've talked about this on the show before, but when I was in in Poland, um, I guess this past winter, back when we could still travel places without risking our lives uh, to die from a virus, um, I, I spent time in Poland doing a lot of reporting and talking to uh, all sorts of people, diplomats, you know, government officials, journalists, academics. And basically everyone, you know, when talking about like the U.S.-Poland relationship and what Poland wants is just like literally more troops, just give us more U.S. troops, please put more people here because we're terrified of Russia. We don't, you know, we see what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. Um, we were terrified. We don't want to be invaded by Russia ever again. Um, <laughs> that happened before. We're good. We don't ever want that to happen again. And it's literally just like, please do anything. So, you know, in that sense, like you said, I think it... it does seem to make kind of strategic sense um, for the U.S. to to redeploy forces uh, away from from Germany. You know, again, we're not you know we're not taking all of them. We're not you know saying you get zero troops now, Germany goodbye. 
Um, but to redeploy them, you know, to the states that are, you know, the countries that are more directly actually vulnerable. I don't think anybody is worried about Russia invading Germany anytime soon. <laughs> if they were, this would be a very different conversation. Um, but, you know, but Poland definitely sees, you know, a lot of, of fear there and uh, and the Baltics as well. So, so I think that makes sense. But again, Alex, like you said, that's very, very different argument from what Trump keeps saying. And I think if he were making that argument, a lot of people would probably be okay with it. Although, you know, politicians probably would still have a way to say that it's wrong because that's their job. But um, <laughs> but I think, you know, what's crazy, and I think you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about this before the show, something about how it was after Angela Merkel snubbed Trump that this decision was first made. Yeah, so I, I touched on this at the top of the show. So the group, the G7, the group of seven, again, the seven most um, like advanced economies, Russia used to be a part of it, and it was then known as the G8, and Russia was kicked out after its invasion of Ukraine. Right. Trump recently was like, I want Russia back in, make it a G8 again. And this caused a big outcry for, you know, known reasons with Trump and Russia, et cetera, et cetera. And Merkel was one of the most vocal, if not the most vocal, which was like, nah, we don't want Russia back in. It's not happening. And then Merkel and Trump also had a phone call in May, which I, I heard from many White House officials and, and it's been reported, um, was incredibly testy. That Trump had basically yelled at her, said the same things that, you know, Germany has not been paying enough for its own defense. It has not been contributing to NATO. It's, you know, it's et cetera, et cetera. And um, that the decision that Trump had was like, all right, we're pulling troops out was made basically after that phone call. And the fact that this decision was made basically to punish Merkel. So the way Trump talks about it, as you described, Jen, fits with that. It really does. Like he's not discussing this troop withdrawal as, oh, it's a strategic rearrangement, a new force posture. We've thought about this very deeply. And here's what we think is best for the future. No, it's like, screw Germany, <laughs> you know, they, they, uh, they, they're they in trouble with me and this is my way of letting them know how in trouble with me they are. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it also that like he, Trump invited her to this G7 summit right. where, you know, obviously they were going to do, you know, this is around this conversation of bringing Russia back in, but Merkel just said, yeah, no, I'm not going to go. Right. And it was like meant to be this thing that was like, look, we can, you know, this was, you know, it, it's supposed to be in June. So this is amid the coronavirus. Trump wanted to have the G7 in Washington and have all these world leaders come and basically show this is like a, you know, I think Politico put it a return to normality. Uh, and Merkel was like, we thank you for the invitation, but no. It was always true that Trump-Merkel relations were testy for quite some time. Um and, and Trump was famously seems to have an issue with, with women in power. Um, you know, Theresa, he did not treat Theresa May particularly well, and he has not treated other uh, female leaders particularly well. But Merkel seems to hold a special place in his heart. Um, that famous scene where Merkel's like, should we shake hands? And Trump, like, ignored her completely. It's it's just odd. Um, so for him to to kind of make a decision of this magnitude, like, I will get into later that I that I'm sort of less worried about this than a bunch of other people are. But, like, you still don't make a decision of pulling roughly around a third of the troops that the U.S. has in Germany and has had there for decades. Um, you don't do that just because you want to send a signal to a leader you don't like. Like, that is really messing with the affairs of state and the way you do just any kind of policy. Like, th this is why I think you'll hear people and say, like, this is a gift to Putin, that you just basically gave, you know, Russia or any other adversary in, in Europe this, this win because you pulled out so many troops without real thinking behind it, um, despite what the Pentagon may say. But like, okay, whether or not there are strategic benefits, this, you just don't do statecraft this way. It's just not the way, it, it's just not how you should do it, uh, case in point. 
It's it's a little petty, just a tad. Maybe spending billions of dollars to re- redeploy troops just because you don't like Merkel very much and she's kind of snippy to you. Yeah, no, the, the petty point in billions of dollars is so important. So here's the thing, like Trump is basically selling this as, oh, this will be a cost-saving measure, right? If we pull the troops right. out, we, can back to, we bring them back to the United States, we're going to end up saving money. That's not necessarily the case, and here's why. First of all, as we mentioned, it's going to cost in the single digit billions of dollars at least to make these rearrangements, and it will cost this over a period of years. Plus, if you bring U.S. troops from Europe back to the United States to then send them back to Europe in a rotational sense, it tends to cost more, roughly in the 130-ish millions of dollars based on certain estimates. So if Trump is selling this as a cost-saving measure, he is wrong. It will actually end up costing the U.S. more money. Now, you can agree that maybe this will save the U.S. more money down the line because this is the right posture we should have. We'll have fewer troops, et cetera, et cetera. And like, these are the kinds of rearrangements that major countries should do from time to time. If the, heck, if Trump were to say, I want all troops out of Germany, well, that would cost a lot of money too, right? So like any kind of change is going to cost money. But under no circumstances should any leader, Trump or any future leader, say, oh, this will be a cost-saving measure. In the short term, there's no way that's true, especially if you're sending the troops back to Europe. Okay, that's, a, I think, a really uh, grim uh, place, but we'll, we'll take a quick break. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk more about whether or not this is actually a gift to Vladimir Putin, and if so, why? What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back, worldly listeners. We have been talking in the first half of the show about the U.S. decision to start a phased withdrawal, I guess we can call it, uh, or start working toward plans to eventually uh, withdraw thousands of U.S. troops from Germany, about half of which are going to come back to the U.S. and maybe at some point again be redeployed back to Europe. Uh, Around roughly the other half are going to go to other countries in Europe, namely Belgium and Italy. And uh, like I said, kind of in the beginning, uh, Joe Biden, Mitt Romney, and and a lot of others have called this a gift to Russia. Uh, Romney also called it a grave error. You know, they're talking about how, you know, this on top of, which we've talked about in previous episodes recently, but, you know, on top of Trump's, you know, refusal to really bring up the issue of Russia's, uh, or at least reports, intelligence reports, that Russia may have been uh, paying bounties to the Taliban and others, uh, affiliated with the Taliban to kill American soldiers and, you know, Trump's kind of overall deference to Putin. Um, So they're kind of framing it as part of this broader, like, Trump is weak on Russia. So, Alex, what's the argument for this being a gift to Russia? Like, what's the evidence of that? And and how is it a gift to Russia if it is? So I should say that I'm, I have sort of three main thoughts or worries, I guess, about this move. A gift to Russia is the least among them. Um, so I'll, I'll lay out this argument first and I'll explain why I'm worried about other things more. So on the, on the gift to Russia, um, the argument goes, here's Trump doing this kind of on a whim with no real thinking behind it, taking troops out of Germany, uh, without consulting allies, especially Germany, right? Uh, like America's <laughs> major ally in Europe and where these troops have been for a long time. 
And if you're Putin, you're looking at this thinking, well, American military forces will be, you know, there are fewer troops in Europe now, and you have an angrier alliance. And if you're Putin, what you want is it to make it harder for the U.S. and European militaries to combat you if you ever have the desire to invade Europe on a grand scale, which is, um, you know, I, I don't buy that anytime soon. And then also, if you're Putin, you want the alliance to be ruptured. You're trying to sow divisions between, between NATO allies, between just U.S. European allies, and this does that, right? One could argue that had the U.S. consulted with Europe for a long time, said, hey, here's the things we're, kind, we're going to be doing, listen to European input, consider that in this decision. Well, then there will still be some in Europe who'd be upset, but like, this would have been almost a, a transatlantic decision as opposed to just a uni, uh, an American unilateral one. The fact that it was unilateral and seems petty, as we've discussed, uh, is why some people are saying Putin is smiling right now. Um, that this was the gift, that it was basically something Putin wanted that the U.S. just gave him with no real cost at all. I think I see that point. I think that the the rupturing of the alliance and like the relationships, I think, is to me the most convincing part of that argument. Right. I, I think the part that I, I kind of don't necessarily buy is that, you know, okay, yes, like the alliance in terms of like personal relationships might be weaker, um, you know, because of this decision. But if we're going to end up deploying troops, you know, potentially eventually, I know Esper said that if Poland signs this agreement, then, you know, eventually later on, we'll we'll send more some of these troops back to Poland. Um, but, you know, if I'm Putin and I'm sitting here going, okay, great, they're taking these troops out of Germany. Awesome. Wait, they're putting them where? Oh, great. They're putting them closer to me. Fantastic. Like, I'm not smiling about that, right? Like, right. that's that's not awesome if you're Vladimir Putin. Um, Poland, people might, I don't know, know if you look at a map. Uh, it's okay if you're not great at geography. Um, it's next to Ukraine. So kind of in the same region here that, you know, Putin is uh, really excited about meddling in and, you know, definitely sees a lot of this, this area in the Baltics in particular as, you know, Russia's traditional sphere of influence, right? When the, the post kind of um, Soviet space is is our neck of the woods, if you're Russia. And having more U.S. troops there does not seem like something that would particularly make Vladimir Putin excited. I totally agree. This is why I'm, I'm not that worried about this gift to Putin thing. Um, let, let me put it this way. Of the three things I'm worried about, in order are like the alliance issues that we somewhat discussed, the, the U.S. military posture and actual goals of why we have troops in Europe, and then the gift to Putin. So let me just kind of go through those very briefly. On the, yeah. on the alliance issue, this, what I'm most worried about is what we've discussed, right? That this was not done in consultation with Europe. It, allies were not involved. This seems like a just a vindictive move against Germany. And it just sows divisions. And it's yet another moment in which the U.S. keeps kind of getting further and further away from Europe. And now Europe is considering, like, how do we, you know, we've had Merkel before be like, I don't know if we can trust America as an ally anymore. You've had France talk about the brain death of NATO in part and for other reasons, but in part because of uh, America's disengagement. And like one, you there are some people who kind of want the U.S. to be out of Europe. And that's, you know, understandable because they want fewer American troops out abroad and think that Europe can handle itself. But on the other end, you know, there's a there's some strategic value to having the U.S. have some control of whether Europe, what is doing for its defense. And you could imagine that a quick European buildup to make up for American dominance and, and power uh, could also cause Russia to be like, well, I'm worried about this too, right? And so right. that could lead to a different balance. So this rupture not only causes political, but possibly military divisions down the line and possible issues. I, 
I think, you know, the, the alliance issue in particular, like this is a giant, like, FU to Germany in particular, no right? No question. And not just from like the the sense of we're taking troops away, you know, from like a strategic military perspective, but from a, a very real economic perspective, there are a lot of, you know, small towns and communities in Germany that have formed around these these bases and these areas where US troops have been for decades. Um, you know, we've cut back n- troop numbers before under the Obama administration and and others. According to the German government, uh, between 2006 and 2018, the number of U.S. troops in Germany more than halved. So, so we have done this before, and it has had very real economic, you know, impact on German communities, uh, you know, and towns, and and on the German economy. Uh, maybe not writ large, but it has very real, tangible effects. So, so you know, when you're thinking about like the U.S.-Germany relationship in particular, like this is a very serious thing to do. No question. Uh, that's totally right. And uh, leave it to me to, of course, once again, bring in soccer somehow. But what's right. important, at, not, not what's important, but what's interesting is uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, when he was the coach of Team USA, he's a former German uh, international soccer star. What he did to improve the national team was bring in a lot of U.S. German dual citizens. And how were they, you know, American German dual citizens? There was some uh, familial integration, let's say, from U.S. troops um, being stationed in Germany. And so you had a lot right. of these young young men who had, like, grown up in Germany, played in Germany, um, then all of a sudden wear a Team USA badge, and shockingly, the team got better. Uh, anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, if if you know a lot of, you know, if you know military brats, I guess yeah. the, the, the phrase is, in America, most of them have at least spent some time in Stuttgart or, you know, other places in Germany. But or a lot of Americans, yeah. If you like uh, heavy metal. <laughs> I know, you beat me to the joke. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, that helps ties when people have grown up literally like living in other countries, that helps develop you know, familiarity and families, but, but, you know, it helps develop U.S. German kind of ties. And so by reducing that as well, I think it's a great point. It, you know, it further kind of drives a wedge between the U.S. and Germany. Yeah. So that would be point one, um, soccer. No, it's, uh, it's about uh, the rupture in the alliance. Point two is that the, is the military, a lot of military questions come out of this. So, the commands that we have in, in Stuttgart, U.S. European Command and AFRICOM, African Command, uh, are where the U.S. bases a lot of troops um, headed either to military operations in the Middle East, like to defeat ISIS and other terrorists in Afghanistan, et cetera, um, or in Africa, like we're still bombing in Somalia and, 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 you know, we've got troops stationed all around that continent too. So to take out 12,000 or so troops and move them around complicates that. Like, as part of the review, and granted, this will take some time, but the U.S. needs to decide, okay, well, if we're not that involved in Germany, if we're lessening our posture there, like, how many people can we bring to hospitals, right? When a lot of troops get injured in the Middle East or Africa, they end up going to Germany to get treatment. Yeah, airlifted immediately out to Germany. That's where they go. Exactly. I'm assuming that will stay the same. But, like, these are the questions that you have to ask and not just sort of rush. You know, you decide, okay, well, there are some teams that are specifically trained or some brigades and you know, units that are specifically trained to do like rapid response uh, in case, let's say, Russia starts to invade a NATO country in the Baltics. Um, are they coming home? And it seems like one of them is. Um, so that's something that's really hard to replace, right? Um, et, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are the kinds of decisions that you can't just sort of cut 12,000 um, or relocate 12,000 without really thinking through. Now, I'm sure the Pentagon ahead of this review did some of this thinking. I'm not saying they just cut 12,000 willy-nilly. Um, 
But I think it's clear that they were probably rushed into this decision by Trump's whims and and sort of vindictiveness. So I'm sorry, did you mean to say that they were Russian? <laughs> yes, they were Russian out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, to be Putin somewhere else. Uh, <clears throat> so tough crowd. Yeah, no one should be laughing. If you're laughing, nah. anyway. Um, so like, I'm worried then that this also not only requires a a rethink of where we put these troops, but a rethink in how we actually stage troops to go elsewhere if we need to once again go into the Middle East to deal with a, a surge of, let's say, the Taliban coming back in Afghanistan or a reemergence of an ISIS 3.0 or 2.5 or whatever it may be, um, you can't just take these out and assume that everything will be the same. It won't be, especially when you have fewer resources on the ground. Won't we also have to, like, find a place to put them in America? Like, isn't that part of the cost? Like, we may have to build new facilities? Yes, like new new bases in America? Because this is like thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, we don't know where they're going to go yet. I mean, there's some decisions, you know, some thinking, okay, well, the special operations troops go to Fort Bragg and, you know, some army folks go to Fort Hood in Texas. But like, okay, that that still has to be decided. And maybe you need more to build more things. Maybe you don't. But uh, this is the part of the problem is that like, if you're going to do this, if you're going to move people out, you really should start having the infrastructure in place. And this is yet another reason why it's going to take years and single digit billions of dollars. So it, it strikes me as uh, th- this being kind of the major, at least one of the major reasons why Secretary of Defense Mark Esper is, seems fairly not thrilled, I guess, or not super behind this this project, uh, this idea, um, which kind of brings me to this this broader question I'm kind of interested in, in terms of the administration itself. And um, there's a report I read about how, you know, this seems to be kind of an effort that was pushed by, by Robert O'Brien and Rick Grinnell. So Rick Grinnell being the former uh, acting director of national intelligence and also the former U.S. ambassador to Germany, which obviously is relevant here, um, and and Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor who who took that position after John Bolton uh, was <laughs> unceremoniously kicked out. Um, he resigned. He said so, he resigned. Sure. Uh, he resigned. Let's go with that. Um and kind of uh, the report, you know, I read talked about how this was Grinnell and O'Brien essentially kind of teaming up to to push back and kind of isolate Esper and how they are have, I think the report said that they, their stock is very high, quoting some U.S. officials saying their stock is high with Trump, um, that they pushed this really hard. Um, and, and Esper was essentially outvoted, um, you know, or kind of outmatched by the two of them pushing this. So I know you've done a lot of reporting on on O'Brien in particular, but you know also on Grinnell. Like, what is their like motivation here? Just trying to get into Trump's good graces, or do they have like a broader strategic thing against Esper? Like, what's going on, and how did this decision actually like come about? Well, before I get into those, I, I should start with Esper actually, because you should know that there are people in the Pentagon and elsewhere who call him Yesper. Um, Ooh. Yeah, the reason being that anything Trump asked him to do, he says yes. Um, he's pushed back on that characterization many times, of course, but this seems like another instance in which Trump said, I want troops out of Germany, and he and Esper went, yes, Burr. Um, so <laughs> as for uh, Grinnell and O'Brien, Grinnell, being the former ambassador to Germany, had a really tough spell there. For, for him, he was really happy with what he did, but the Germans were really happy to see him go. They were very open about want, wanting to see him out. Um, <laughs> yeah. And in part because he was constantly berating the Germans for not spending more on defense and, you know, this delinquency to NATO, which we need to correct soon enough. Um, 
So I, it doesn't surprise me that when Trump had yet another testy exchange with Merkel, Grinnell kind of used this moment to push forward. O'Brien also believes that the U.S. is overextended in certain areas. Um, he keeps trying to cut and is cutting the size of the National Security Council that he leads um, and believes that the U.S. does not need to necessarily be as overstretched around the world, And he, in part because he sees his job as basically an extension of the president. The president does not want the U.S. extended around the world, and so he's trying to deliver what, you know, the president desires, which is actually, like, it's a fair argument to make. Another thing we should note is that the new nominee for the ambassador of Germany is a guy named Douglas McGregor, a former army, uh, he's an army veteran, who has been very open and is on a Tucker Carlson regular about not wanting the U.S. overstretched, that the U.S. should start to come home and rebuild at home. And so sending him to Germany around the same time that this is happening is yet another signal that this is, also part of a broader um, thinking that the U.S., you know, and Trump has been open about wanting to bring troops home from Syria and elsewhere. Like, this is what he wants to do. So these officials, in part, it's their own projects. In part, they're trying to deliver on the president. And there is a um, defense secretary who is just willing to say yes. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. I want to get to the the German spending issue just to really lay that out. But I, I think, you know, the idea of bringing troops home so that we can rebuild at home, I, I find it's a little bit of a, I don't know, not a bait and switch, but but that argument, I mean, you know, when you bring troops home, they don't just like just troop at home, right? Like either For they're free. done and they, <laughs> right, right. Like you, even if they leave the military, like we have the, like the Pentagon and, and the VA has obligations that continue to pay for them, right? And if they leave, then they, you know, then you have like thousands of people who need jobs, right? <laughs> who are unemployed all of a sudden if they're not going to be in the military, um, you know, it's not like that you can bring them home and now like, you know, the special forces are going to be building bridges. Like that's not how that works. So, and again, if this is going to cost, you know, even single digit billions of dollars, it's not really clear how that money is being well spent if the argument is to like spend more money at home. Um, But, you know, speaking of spending money, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that Germany has already agreed that starting in 2021, that they're going to increase their share of the NATO budget to be equal with the U.S. So they've already done that piece of what what Trump has asked for, right? Like they're already literally about to start doing that um, to be roughly, you know, I think pretty much equal with what the U.S. is spending. But it also is the case that they're not going to be able to meet the the spending target, right, on their own defense, that 2% target that Trump has kind of, you know, forced and said, we want all members to meet this, this pledge, right? By 2024, you have to be spending, you know, 2% of your GDP on your own military, right? Again, the idea being that, yes, you know, the U.S. will, will help defend you and protect you, but you can't just rely only on us. Like, you have to build up your own forces too, right? This is not all on us. And I think Merkel has recently said that, uh, you know, Germany's not going to be able to reach that by 2024. I think she just said that, uh, she's vowed to reach the two percent mark by the early 2030s, which is a while from now. Yep. Um, and you know, and Germany is, is a very wealthy country, uh, so I, I can understand you know that frustration there. So, so what's going on there, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I, I should say that there's a famous instance a few years back uh, where, like, it, it, sort of the the meme of Germany not spending enough on defense came true. There were German troops training, and instead of having guns, they had to use like black brooms. Um, and, and one of the arguments was because, well, they couldn't like get the funding for the guns or the training. And so this was like, look, see Germany, which is so rich, can't get its act together. Um, and that's, I've weirdly heard that a lot recently too, that like this keeps coming up that one sort of moment. Um, and Germany's not doing it for, for as the, is not spending so much for multiple reasons. 
uh, I guess the two main ones, it is a European country. European countries don't really value military military spending as much as like social programs and um, education, welfare, stuff like that. And they have to spend a lot. Which is fairly useful given history. <laughs> that's not an accident, sure. like, by the that, way. That's, that's <laughs> why, I mean, tons of European countries spend on that. And that's what they value more yeah. than military affairs. And that's a, that's a national choice. Um, the other is, and this is more uh, intangible, but like, Germany pretty recently had a strong military that was doing some stuff right. in Europe. And so the Germans have been pretty wary about rebuilding its military um, for those reasons. And frankly, there are still some European countries that are wary anytime they see Germany build up. So it's they, they've been trying to like regain with caution. But Merkel trying to is a center right leader, but center, I think, leads it. She wanted she's been wanting to keep sort of fans on the left and right and balancing military spending while balancing, um, you know, social programs has been part of the way she's done it. Finally, I should say, you know, she hasn't faced an American, every American president has been in, tough on NATO saying, you guys need to spend more, Germany in particular. Yeah. Like everyone has said that. Obama said it, Bush said it, Clinton said it, everyone said it. Um, Trump's the one that's weirdly following through on it um, with punishments. Now we can disagree, and I think we do, heavily in the way he's gone about it. Um, but to his credit, he's got some stuff done. Eh, I'm, I'm less sanguine on that. Um, I mean, like a lot of the spending that NATO's been doing, more spending that NATO's been doing that Trump's been taking credit for was happening before he got there. Um, I don't doubt, though, that other countries have spent more because like, well, we are worried about what Trump might do or maybe the U.S. will pull out. I mean, Trump was very close to withdrawing from NATO, right? He was- in, Yeah, so, that was the thing. Like very, very close. So uh, it doesn't, I'm not shocked that European countries have been spending more also out of worry of what, where the U.S. might go in the future. But I think when Trump boasts about, like, they started spending, you know, billions are pouring into NATO more because of me, like, that's an exaggerated comment. Uh, yeah. Finally, we, we, should, we should note just on this, because um, it, it matters with the Germany case, is when Trump is saying that, like, Germany is not giving what it needs to NATO, that's wrong. Um, as you rightly mentioned, Jen, what matters here is the 2% target that NATO has set for all member states. Germany has not met it. But that does not mean that it's like not putting money into NATO. It just hasn't met its own target at home. Member states right. do give some money to like, you know, uh, the, to the the infrastructure of NATO and stuff. But yeah. this is that's not what Trump believes that because yeah. Germany isn't pay, spending money, like NATO is somehow at this massive deficit, which it's not. And if I and if I may say to to make a point that this is more about being nasty to Germany than anything else, the troops that are moving to Belgium and Italy. None of those countries spend two percent on 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 their defense, right? Right. So like this, they spend less than Germany does, right? Yeah, I think so. So this is so less. This what? is not about that, right? Which is just crazy to me that we are having this massive, like, you know, plan to go through with this huge redeployment of U.S. forces in Germany, essentially because Trump just didn't pay attention and refuses to understand how NATO is funded. Uh, and because he seems to just be mad at Merkel. Yeah. Like the bottom line is that regardless of of whether this makes sense as a retro, you know, retrofitted kind of, you know, explanation of, of redeployment and, you know, sending troops to Poland and the Baltics and, you know, in Italy and Belgium, uh, Italy, not on Russia's flank, by the way, uh, <laughs> pretty sure I've checked a map lately, not on, not on the border of Russia. Um, but, you know, I think no matter how, you know, convincing that, argument in the long run may actually be, the bottom line is that this is Trump essentially throwing a temper tantrum. I, th I think so. Um, and 
And so that's why I think when now this gets to point three, um, this gift to Putin, that this is Trump throwing a temper tantrum, giving Putin what he wants, a lessened American presence, a weakened alliance. Um, I'm less worried about this for reasons that we've discussed uh, a bit, but basically one, troops will still be moving to, you know, closer to <laughs> Russia, which is something, you know, that would not make Putin smile. Um, the other thing is like, there will still be roughly around 24,000, 25,000 American troops in Germany. Right. And other more troops around Europe. It's not like the U.S. is really abandoning Europe. Uh, there's still a decent force presence now. You could mention, and others have, including a um, former commander of U.S. Army Europe, who um, I put out this somewhat provocative question on Twitter, um, and he and others responded. And his basic point was like, look, the logistics that you, you can't make up, you can't replace some of these logistics, you can't replace some of these capabilities. This, you know, is a signal to Putin that he can start making moves. And there's a reason for that. I mean, when there was a re realignment along these lines in like 2002, 2012 and 2013, Putin invades Ukraine pretty soon after that. So, mm. and and Hurtling, who was this former commander, said like the, he was getting, he and others were getting intelligence that Putin saw that realignment, that relocation as like a signal that uh, maybe the U.S. commitment wasn't so strong. So there is a kernel of truth to it. But again, if I'm Putin... I still don't see U.S. troops closer to my border and still a significant American presence as that big a threat. I don't think it's a gift then. Um, and in fact, I don't like this framing because the U.S. should make actions that most matter to its national security more so than others. And like, you can make a very strong case that the U.S. needed to bring some troops home and perhaps spend some money in the long run and maybe we needed more out east as opposed to in Germany. All of that, you could, and you know, is a good in U.S. national security reason to do it and not necessarily think, well, what is a gift to Putin? What is not? So I don't think this is necessarily like, strengthens America's position versus Russia. I think that line from the Pentagon is faulty. But I also don't think this is just like some massive, here you go, Putin, here's a big win for you. I don't think it's a big win. I think it's a, like, it's a it's a shrug at best from him as opposed to a smile. I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, <laughs> we're, we've given Putin a shrug. Um, <laughs> Putin so, shrug. <laughs> oh, oh, worst Ayn Rand sequel ever. Um, all right. I want to thank our producer, Jackson Bierfeld, for listening to our delightful voices and cutting all the stuff that is not delightful. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening and encourage you all to rate, subscribe, and review Worldly wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. I'll be the same. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.